Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you all. Let's, um, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us now. Father, thank you for your word to us. It is good. It is true. And Lord, may it encourage us today to see your great grace, your incredible grace, your wonderful grace. A grace that may seem unfair, but in many ways was unfair to you. How you extended your love to us, although we did not deserve it. May that move in our hearts today by your spirit and cause us to love you more, we pray. Amen. Well, we ended last week with a statement made by Jesus to his disciples that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Today, Jesus continues to answer the question of the disciples in verse 27 of last week's passage. When they boldly state that entry into God's kingdom is clearly unfair, they've given up everything to follow Jesus. And so they want to know what will be left for them. What do they get out of it? And of course, as we saw last week, Jesus encourages them. He is patient with them. He tells them of their great reward. But the story continues today of God's incredible grace of those who are last. Those who have found salvation, found eternal life and entry into the kingdom of God at the very last hour. they will also experience the wonders of the grace of God. As a friends, today we're going to see two things. And if you're following along in your bulletin, you'll see that I didn't put the headings in there. I forgot. Here they are. You can write them down. God's grace is surprising. We're going to see that God's grace is surprising. And secondly, that, God is, that God's grace is sovereign. He is sovereign in the distribution of his Grace. That's what we're going to see uh, this morning. Now, to do this, Jesus tells his disciples a parable. It's a story designed to impart a lesson. And he uses a story of workers in a vineyard. Of course, it's not the first time Jesus uses such imagery. Vineyards are commonplace. And this parable, much like last week's lesson, it isn't hard to follow. It's not hard to follow. The lesson is pretty easy. The workers who were hired first, who, who worked longer and harder than the rest, well, they had complained about those who were hired last, who had consequently received the same wages. Those workers hired at the 11th hour only had one hour of work, and yet they were equally compensated. It's a story of God's incredible grace. It is a story that should encourage us and should bring us much joy. The beauty of God's grace, the surprise of God's grace, is that it's not fair. However, we're going to see today that it is unfair towards one person only. So firstly, let's look at that first heading, heading, God's grace is surprising. Have a look at verses 1 to 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. In South Africa, we have something rather similar to this imagery. It's a third world country. There aren't enough jobs to go around, secure jobs to go around for everyone. And sadly, many live hands to mouth. 
And those willing to work will often go to certain places in the city where they will wait for any kind of work to be offered them. Perhaps I need help painting my house. Perhaps my employed workers are busy with another project, so I need more help at a short notice. As an employer, I know where to go. So I drive down, I grab a few men, they jump on the back of my ute. It's not a ute in South Africa, it's a bucky. And there it is, I have my workers for the day. The landowner, on his first visit to hire extra men, these day laborers, they are above and beyond his current employed staff and servants. He agrees to pay them one denarius. This is a reasonable wage. It's a fair wage. It's what a foot soldier would earn. And for some reason, we see that this landowner in total, he goes five times at different hours in the day. So he goes firstly at six in the morning, Start of the workday, gets his first batch of laborers. He goes back at 9 a.m., goes back again at 12 p.m. and 3 p.m., and then again later at 5 p.m. Now, parables aren't designed to tell us everything. We shouldn't read too much into a story, right? It hasn't told us why he went uh, so many times. Uh, it hasn't told us why he went to look for men. Uh, we can presume that maybe he made a mistake, and needed more men. We can presume it was the end of the working week and he needed harvesting done before the arrival of the Sabbath. But we're actually not told any of that, are we? We're just told this is what he does. And we see that in the third, sixth, and ninth hours, the agreement between the landowner and the laborers is that he promises to pay them fairly. Right? So those at 6 a.m., the offer is one denarius. For the ninth, uh, for nine o'clock, for twelve o'clock, for three o'clock, he says he'll promise to pay them fairly. Have a look at verse four. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Now, as we read through the story, we might presume, wouldn't we, that those who began the day at 6 a.m., well, they would earn the most. They're going to work a full day. And we know that they're going to earn their denarius. It's what they agreed to. Then followed by those at 9, 12, 3, we know that they're going to be paid whatever is right. And so this is where the story now begins to get interesting. Because it appears that even at 5 o'clock, he still needs more men. The last hour of the day. And so he does just that. And as we read this, we should be left wondering, well, what is left for them? What's going to be left for them? Those who only did an hour of work. Let's have a look at verses 6 to 7. About the 11th hour, he went out, found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, one thing to note with these latecomers is that they confess that no one would hire them. They're still waiting for work at the end of the day. Many might have gone home at that time. What's the point of still waiting? You're unlikely to get work. The other thing to note is, where were they earlier in the day? When the employer went in, when the landowner went in and hired all the men, where were they? They weren't there. Some suggest that these men had been working elsewhere. Again, these are just conjectures. 
The fact is, right now, they're waiting for work. They're waiting to be hired, even at the last moment. And so see that the landowner uses the exact same wording with them as he did with the previous three groups. You also go and work in my vineyard. Except there's one thing missing. They haven't agreed to a fair wage, have they? Perhaps they're just eager to get some work for the day and will accept whatever is given to them. But this is where the great surprise comes in. Verse 8, the landowner tells his manager to pay the day laborers, starting with those who came in last. Because Jesus is such a great storyteller, he wants us to see what they get paid first and then to see the reaction of those who followed, who worked longer. Let's have a look at verses 9 to 12 with me. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It's not fair, they cried. It's not fair. I remember when I was little, too little to understand the concept of value in money, and we had visited my grandmother who had given my older brother and I one rand each, one rand, not grand, right? Again, South African money. And my brother was given two large, shiny, silver 50-cent pieces. I, on the other hand, was given a small one-rand coin. Do you think I was happy with that arrangement? It's not fair! My brother's got two big coins. I only got one small coin. It's not fair. Eventually, my brother had to give me the two 50 cents, and he took the one, and all was right again. He was five years older. Here, the first group grumble. They feel that they should have been given more. But here we see the surprising grace of God. It is surprising because we see again how living in the kingdom of God will completely subvert our expectations. Because as we read the story, we might feel inclined to agree with those who were first. It's not fair, is it? Why should they get a whole day's wage when they only worked an hour? We should get more. We deserve more. It's not fair. It's not just. But according to who? According to who? The fact is, no one has actually been treated unfairly in this story. Is that right? They agreed to their rage. It was the complete generosity of the landowner to hire them in the first place. And it was the same generosity that paid them all an equal share. The fact is, friends, that God surprises us with his mercy and grace. God doesn't owe us his kingdom. God doesn't owe us the eternal riches contained wherein. Again, as with the rich man last week, it's not what we have done, it's not what we have built up, it's not what we have achieved in this life. There is no merit enough that we could earn to receive eternal life in the first place, let alone its eternal riches. 
Rather, God gives us salvation despite everything we have done. God shows us mercy by not punishing us for our sin. And he extends his grace to us by giving us what we did not earn. God owes us nothing. Yet, the beauty of grace is that he gives us everything in his Son. The cross is the great leveler of all people. And so as we humbly come before God empty-handed, in return we will receive the fullness of life. So God's grace is surprising. Secondly, we see that God's grace is sovereign. See, again, God is under no obligation to extend his forgiveness to anyone. The fact is, all deserve his wrath. All deserve his anger over their great sin. And even our deeds that appear good, well, they're soiled in sin. And what we see here is that he has the right to dispense his mercy and grace as he pleases. Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, that our salvation is not dependent on human desire or effort, but totally on God's mercy. You see, although the day laborers are out and they're waiting for work, they may desire it. It is only at the mercy and grace of the landowner that they are even hired in the first place. Read verses 13 to 14. After their grumbling, the landowner answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? As we said last week, Christians are to be the most generous people in the world. Because our master was generous with us. He was generous with you. And so we must understand the point of this parable very clearly. It is a parable to Christians about God's grace and the rewards that God gives us. Jesus is responding here directly to his disciples who who question their reward, that they're not getting enough because of all they have done. And rather, we learn here that God is sovereign in the dispensation of his grace. He saves who he saves, and he gives to who he gives. And so the day laborers who are grumbling about their pay would not even have work unless for the grace of the landowner. And so instead of thoughtless grumbling... Well, instead, there should have been tremendous gratitude. Tremendous gratitude. And so it's quite fitting for our story today to end with Jesus' third and final prediction in Matthew's gospel about what would happen to him. So follow along with me, verses 17. It says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man would be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Friends, if there is ever a time to shout, it's not fair, this is it. But interestingly, we don't get that reaction from the disciples here, do we? 
them who had been grumbling before are silent now. Now, they knew they were going to head to Jerusalem. It's the time of the Passover. It'll be a natural decision, a natural direction for them. But see what happens in this prediction. To be delivered over to the chief priest, to be betrayed. Who's going to do that? Who's going to betray Jesus? That he'll be condemned to die, that he'll be mocked and flogged and crucified. Not a peep. Luke's gospel for us at this point in the story records that they did not understand these things. That the meaning was hidden from them. Maybe because if they did understand it, they would have tried to stop Jesus. But their thoughts here are still on earthly rewards and political kingdoms. And so for their king to die was so far removed from their expectations... If they got it, if they understood it, surely they would have said, it's not fair. At this time, for the right reason. This is the first time we see that the crucifixion will be the way that Jesus is killed. It's the first time we see the use of that word. Criminals could have died in many ways, but Jesus knew exactly how he would be killed. The king of heaven killed by the king of earth. See, only the Romans could crucify. Why is it fair that the king of heaven, God's son, perfect and holy good, who brought sight to the blind, who enabled the lame to walk, who healed skin diseases and made outcasts part of the community of God, who forgave and spoke of God's grace and mercy, why is it fair that Jesus would suffer Disloyalty from friends as he is betrayed. Why is it fair that he who is just would suffer injustice? Why is it fair that he who spoke life would suffer insults and mocking and scorn? Why is it fair that he who brought healing would suffer in great agony and pain? Why is it fair that he who brought Lazarus back to life is the real beauty of grace? Jesus' life for yours. And so, friends, our response to God ought to be of, of one of infinite gratitude. See, under grace, we can't come to God complaining because we never deserved his grace in the first place. Lest he turn around to you and say, okay, let, let me give you what you deserve. I, I don't want what I deserve. I don't want what I deserve. But the law of grace says I get what he deserves. Isn't that wonderful? The wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus would not stay dead, but by the power of God, he would be raised back to life. And if you have been saved by grace, you have already in part experienced that new life. I'm going to read again from Ephesians, what we read all together earlier. I'm going to read from verses 4 to verse 10. Listen carefully to what these words say. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, the kingdom of God subverts our expectations, doesn't it? Completely flips it on its head. So what does it look like for us to live in the kingdom? Well, just think back to what we've looked at these past few weeks. Think back to uh, John's message on forgiveness. Is, Is it fair for you to forgive someone who hurts you again and again and again? It's not fair, is it? Why don't they get what they deserve? It's because you didn't get what you deserved. Because God showed you his grace. And he has prepared for you good works to do that you would be living out that grace to others, forgiving others again and again and pointing them to true forgiveness found in Christ. Isn't that part of our mission statement here at the church? Knowing, living, sharing the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we aim to do as God's people. And so, friends, all that we do in the kingdom, whether the task is burdensome or whether it is light, we do it with great joy and with great thankfulness to God. All we are, we have, all we do, it all belongs to God. The ability to serve God is a gift of His grace, the call to serve God. Is a gift of his grace. And friends, the beauty of grace is that it is unfair. It is unfair to us because we receive all the benefits of his kingdom at the cost of him, at the cost of his life. So friends, let us with thankfulness surrender ourselves to our God, to our King, to our Savior, to our Master, and to the one who calls us friend. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the goodness found in your words this morning of the incredible grace of God, your grace bestowed upon a people who did not deserve it, who did not even want it. And yet you have changed our hearts to desire it even more. Thank you for all you have done in us through your Son. And help us this day and forever to do those good works that you have prepared for us in advance to do. That we might bring glory to your Son, bring others into your kingdom, and live forever with you and for you. Amen.